Amen. That's good. All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. Again, we're in our missions month, and it's always good to hear from Brother Spencer Smith, and he's just, uh, he's an interesting character, to say the least. And uh, he, uh, I don't know, he, I guess he does a lot of videos and a lot of little things like that. I'm not sure. I don't really see any of those, but I've, I hear about them every once in a while. He's, he likes to tackle the tough subjects, I guess, but... Uh, He's an interesting guy, and we love him around here. He came and preached for us, remember, <clears throat> and uh, he spent the week with us and did a fabulous job. He really did, and uh, certainly enjoyed having him, and uh, they're doing a great job there. They really are, and we're excited for that ministry. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and we're going to read 14 and 15. The Bible says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless now. May you, Father, remove all distractions. May you enable us, Lord, to focus our attention on you, your word, May we be truly open to the leadership of your spirit. Lord, will you use this service to encourage us? Lord, you may use this service to call someone to the ministry. 
Lord, we just ask that you would be magnified, exalted, and glorified today. That we open our hearts to you and allow you to speak. We thank you. We love you. And we ask that you would just touch us now in these next moments. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as of April the 14th, 2010, there were 6.8 billion people on the face of the earth. As of today, there's almost a billion more, 7.8 billion. So in the last 10 years, we've seen a billion more people occupy the face of this planet. It would require 40,000 trips around the world to equal 1 billion. Now think about that. 40,000 trips around the world to equal a billion. And yet there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. 60% of the world's population lives in the continent of Asia. That's an amazing statistic. There are 4.6 billion people in Asia alone. Africa, 1.3 billion. Europe, 750 million approximately. North America, over 500 million. South America, over 400 million. Then Oceania and Australia, around 38, just a small group down there, comparatively speaking. But the population of the world is just out of control, isn't it? I mean, people are being born and they're living. Matter of fact, the reality is they tell us that really the the population isn't growing as much as it used to. The thing is, is that there's already so many people that even just the small percentage in which it increases, increases it substantially. You realize that there are over 1.8 billion people under the age of 15. Almost 2 billion people. That's an amazing statistic. 4.4 billion people, or 65% of the world's population, are 15 to 64. And then 65 and over, there are 9% of the world's population. So we see 26%, 15 and younger. We see 9%, 65 and over. And the other are in between, of course, 65% right in the middle there. In 1950, there were 100,000 missionaries. There are only about 5,000 independent Baptist missionary families serving on the foreign fields today. And personally, these stats are a little old. I tried to find newer ones. It's very hard to find stats like that. It's probably far less than that, to be honest. They claim that 75% of missionaries return home within the first three years, and they never go back to the foreign field. 43% of missionaries never even complete deputation. They say that only 1% of Bible college students even considers the mission field. Now, I believe that that number is significantly higher in our fundamental Baptist colleges, but when I say significantly, I don't mean probably too significantly. I don't know. There's not that many young people that are committing to to the foreign field. There's not too many young people committing to the ministry at all. It seems to me, even in the last 20 years, even in the ministry here, it seems that less and less young people are committing their lives to the ministry. Full-time ministry, that is. I know that you can be content, and I know God can be blessed, and I know life can go on, and you you don't all have to be preachers. If you were all preachers, I wouldn't have a job. But I can tell you this. 
there ought to be more young people being called to the ministry than there are. And then again, I should probably qualify that by saying this. They are being called. They're just not listening. I think Brother Cavanaugh mentioned that the other night. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, although that task seems rather daunting, and it is, the reality is that God never sets us up for failure. He's not asking us to do something that's impossible. He's not requiring something of us that he doesn't provide for us. If God tells us that we are to reach the world with the gospel, if he tells us we're to go to all the ends of the earth, then let me tell you that he intends to, to see it accomplished, and he expects it to be done, and he'll give us every tool that we need to accomplish the job. Now, the sad truth is, is that there is little interest in reaching the world today. That's a reality. The real interest is in is enjoying it. That's what we're looking to do most of the time. Not reaching it, but enjoying it. <clears throat> we want to enjoy the world, but to reach the world, well, that's a little uncomfortable. As statistics show, our ranks are being depleted. Attrition is eroding those ranks. And there are a number of reasons for this. One of the things that I'm concerned about as we go forward, and I was concerned about this 10 years ago, and I'm still concerned about it now, is that I believe that many are getting the idea or somehow believe that the internet is the solution to reaching the world with the gospel. That is not how God intended the world to be reached. You say, you don't know that. I do know that. I do know that. I know that because I see biblically and scripturally what the Bible says. I know, first of all, we can't minister as a church here at Community Baptist Temple to people who don't sit in pews. That thing right there is going to destroy churches. This internet thing and all this live streaming is going to be the death of the fundamental church. You let the government turn the switch off, and there's no ministry at all. And it's going to happen. God never intended that we reach the world through a screen. He intended that we reach it one-on-one, -on -one, personally interacting with people. That's how God intended it to be done. There is no substitute for a body on the ground. Someone who can laugh and cry with others. Someone who can hurt with them and rejoice with them in their victories. Hey, listen, even God himself, if you really look at it, he came to reach the world. How did he do that? He literally came himself and he took his place here on earth. He interacted with people one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know, we're funny about that. We say things like, well, Jesus was baptized, you ought to be baptized. Jesus, he lived his life a certain way, you ought to live your life a certain way. But when it comes to reaching the world, we say, well, Jesus reached them face-to-face, -face. we'll reach them through the internet. What's wrong with that? Something just doesn't jive, if you will, if that's correct English. He could have reached the world in many different ways, but instead he chose to personally take his place among mankind to become a servant. The Bible says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what Jesus Christ did. He became a servant. Now, you can serve without being a servant. 
And that's something that seems foreign today. We're not kind of grasping that concept. But you can, be, you can serve and not be a servant. You say, how's that possible? Let me give you an example. Let's say, <clears throat> let's say that I say to a singer that does specials, you get to sing Wednesday night. And they say, well, okay. But down deep they're thinking, I'm good enough. I should have been singing Sunday morning. <clears throat> now they're serving, but they're not a servant. You get where I'm going? Oh, I'm a teacher. Okay, I want you to get in there for those four and fives. Oh, well, I don't teach four and fives. I'll be with the sixth graders or above, please. I want to work with the teens. I'll work with teenagers. My friend, you aren't a servant then. You may be serving, but you're not a servant. You get where I'm going? I'm going to tell you something. What we need are people like Jesus Christ who are servants. If anybody deserved to stay up in heaven, relax and kick back and take it easy, it was the God who created everything. But instead he came to earth and he submitted himself to, the, to, the, to the, the, the plight on this earth. He submitted himself to his very creation. We treated him horribly. And he took it. And by I say, the personal touch is still in vogue and it is still most effective today. You cannot improve on the personal touch. You can't do it. I'm not opposed to giving a phone call. Over in the Philippines, Brother Lorena's got this phone call ministry going now. They're on lockdown down in the Philippines. I have not really had that many people die from COVID in comparison. I'm amazed, really, as I look at the numbers in the Philippines. They're really doing pretty good, but their government has locked them down. Let me tell you something. I hope our government doesn't get as far as their government has. They have locked them down big time. So he started a phone call ministry. They've had 30,000 people saved over the phone, he says. And they're saying they've had people saved in Russia, and I wonder if they're colluding. But anyway, they're over in Russia and, and over in, in all kinds of countries. Isn't that amazing? So I'm not opposed to that. But can I tell you, there's not a church in the world that probably is any more excited about getting the masks off getting all the, the flight restrictions and travel restrictions off so they can get on the ground where they belong again. Because I promise you, 30,000 souls is a drop in the bucket compared to what could be being saved if there were people on the ground. Romans 10, 15 says, How shall they preach except they be sent? Now we talk about the Bible being the authority of faith and practice. He talks about the fact that the men of God, those with the gospel, need to be sent. Why would they need to be sent if they could sit behind a screen? You say, why are you making this a big deal? I don't know, because I think everybody else is. I'm about fed up to hear with that stuff. Because I'm watching it erode the foundation of our Christianity. You don't get tougher by sitting at home watching it on TV as you do getting dressed every morning, getting the kids ready, and running to church. Anybody can sit, as we said before, in their underwear and their T-shirt. I saw a commercial the other day, and it was almost like, can hide, hide your eyes, honey. This guy's running around his pair of underwear, and he's out there outside, and he's running around his underwear. And then he goes, oh, I thought we were, what's that, live streaming or something like that, basically. And it's true. 
Who are we kidding, man? Comfort's the key, right? Let me tell you something. You go to a foreign field, you go out on the street corners, you knock on doors, that's not real comfortable, is it? It's not comfortable. How, how shall they preach except they be sent? John Keith Falconer, he made this statement. He said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I'd rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. I kind of like that. Oswald J. Smith said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone's heard it once? And our passage asks the question, a number of questions actually, that beg to be answered in every generation, every generation, not just the one previous, not just the one now, but those to come. It says in Romans 10, 14 and 15, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Those are some good questions, right? Those are important questions. And as we face missions this month at Community Baptist, we need to answer those questions. And the truth is, is that if we, they don't go, they won't be reached. The idea that the world will not call on him if they don't believe is a reality. If they don't believe, they'll never call on him. And they'll not believe if they haven't heard. And they'll not hear without a preacher. But how shall they preach except they be sent? I am convinced that the gospel will be silenced, that the world will perish, and that the future is hopeless except they be sent. Except they be sent, the gospel will be silenced. We need to keep that in mind. We need to remember that. We do not believe in Calvinism around here. And Calvinism implies that those that will be saved are going to be saved. It's just a reality. I mean, you're born and you're going to be saved. You, it's irresistible grace. You're just going to give in. You're going to be saved. But on the other hand, there are some that won't be saved. And of course, if that's the case, then God's making a decision as to who and who will not be saved. We don't believe that here, and I don't believe the Word of God even implies it, nor does it talk about it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says over in the book of Peter, it's says chapter 3, verse 9, it tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not willing that any perish. God's not willing that any be separated from him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't think he's offering some idle opportunity there. I don't think he's saying, well, I'm going to say it, but I don't really mean it. We are biblicists, and we adhere to scriptural teaching. And that scriptural teaching clearly expresses a need for an individual to personally call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And just before we arrive at verse 14 and 15, which is our text, we read verse 13 that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The opportunity to be saved is given to all, every single person, every single human being on the planet. And that opportunity is provided for and through 
the simple sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his shed blood upon Calvary makes available the opportunity for you and I to be saved. Whosoever. But our passage goes on to address a growing problem in our day. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now I'm going to tell you that it can be applied to missions, but it is also true locally where we are at today. Most churches, many churches, even fundamental churches, have thrown out their outreach programs. They're not sending anyone out into the world anymore. We're not sending people out to the doors. We're not sending people to reach others with the gospel. We've given up on soul winning, and we said it doesn't work today, my friend, except they be sent. The gospel will be silenced. They're going to perish. Do you realize that the world was reached with the gospel in the apostles' day? It's really an amazing, amazing feat that was accomplished. The world was reached. I mean reached. Colossians chapter 1. Turn there, would you? The Great Commission, as we often refer to it as, was literally fulfilled in the Apostles' Day. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, we read, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven... Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister, which was preached to every creature. Well, that sounds like a fulfillment. That was exactly what Jesus commissioned his church to do prior to his ascending back to be with the Father. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he had told them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God was with the early church. Is obvious, isn't it? It's amazing as we look at that early church and we see the results. The results being that the world was literally reached with the gospel, that the world, every creature had heard the gospel. Everybody had been exposed to the gospel. In Thessalonica, this truth was attested to by those who had sought to take Paul. They hated his guts. They wanted to take him and his companions captive. But they couldn't find him at the time. And so they arrested Jason and his household instead. And I want you to note the accusation in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. They said, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying that these have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These that have turned the world upside down. They were being blamed for turning the world upside down. Can you imagine that? I mean, can we even be blamed for turning our homes upside down? 
turning our, 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 our street upside down, turning our communities upside down, turning our county upside down, turning our city upside down even. I mean, is anything being turned upside down? And I'm not just pointing at you, I promise you. I'm telling you that all of us, if not careful, have found ourselves failing to reach the world and instead have sought to enjoy it. But except they be sent, the gospel will be silenced. If nobody's sharing the gospel, nobody will hear the truth. When being tried for preaching the resurrected Christ, it was said of Paul in Acts 24, 5, for we have found this man a pestilent fellow. That's not a good thing. And a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. The increase in disciples is a direct link to the spread of the gospel. When you look at all the disciples, when you look at all of those that are following Jesus Christ, it is a direct result of the gospel going forth. The Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. The gospel will be silenced, except they be sent. And we touched on this already, but I want to focus on it. Except they be sent, the world will perish. It'll perish. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, please. In this day and age of COVID-19, we have gotten, let's face it, lulled to sleep. Well, we can't, you know, at first it was, well, you, you can't have church because everybody's dying around us. First of all, everybody hasn't died around us. They haven't. But because of caution and under, understandable caution, even we as a church took steps to ensure the safety of our congregation. The only problem is, there are many churches in this country, whether they're fundamental Baptists or not, that are not yet having church. And if they are, they're just starting to have it now. now that's a problem. I don't know about you, but that's a problem. The problem then also exists in the fact that because we were gun-shy because of COVID, we failed to continue to reach out. And, and again, understandably so at first, trying to grasp the concept, understand what we were up against, to get to know the enemy, if you will. But the fact is, is that it's been a long time since many people have reached out with the gospel. We have been lulled to sleep, even at Community Baptist Temple. All you have to do is look at the numbers on Saturday going out to our Bible clubs, and you realize that we have been lulled to sleep. The very best of the best don't even take the time to go. Now listen to me. You tell me what's caused that. Nothing's changed except we've gotten lazy. Nothing's changed except we've gotten used to having more time off. Nothing's changed except we've been told that the COVID has stood between us and accomplishing the mission that God gave us to do. And we all bought into it to some degree. The only problem is some don't want to let it go. And I'm going to tell you, as a church, it'll destroy the church, but more importantly, it will ultimately cost men and women their eternal destinations. 
We can go ahead and continue to use COVID as an excuse at Community Baptist or even other churches around our neighborhoods and around our country. But my friend, there are souls dying every single day. And if we don't get out there and share the gospel with them, except they be sent, the world will perish. That's all there is to it. Well, we've got our internet, preacher. Yeah, a lot of people got saved over the internet while we've been in COVID. We're waiting on the lost world to tune in to watch us. Before it's over, they're going to want to ban us because it's hate speech, what we're talking about. Except they be sent, the world's going to perish. That's all there is to it. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now God's grace or undeserving favor is made available by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you and I have nothing of value to offer him at all. You've got nothing to give God. I've got nothing to give God. All I have is sin. We are convicted felons, so to speak. We, according to the word of God, are already condemned. You don't have to do anything to be condemned. You are born into condemnation. When Adam sinned, he became a sinner. But as you well know, he passed that sin on to his children and their children to their children and so on and so forth. And as a result, you and I are all born sinners in the image of Adam. I'm not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I am a sinner. And there is no hope of escaping the penalty of sin through our own efforts or through our own abilities. Romans 6.23, as we noted this morning, the wages of sin is death. That is a reality. That is true for not only me and you, that's true for every one of our family, our loved ones, our friends. That is true for the world around us. Every single human being is born into this world a sinner and will die a sinner and spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire because of that sin. If somebody doesn't go, if somebody doesn't tell them, except they be sent, the world will perish. Hell is a real place. Those that are not saved will perish. But aren't you glad that Jesus Christ made a way to escape? Man, the shed blood of Jesus Christ enables God to extend his grace to us. His grace being unmerited favor, something we don't deserve. How can we not be grateful to Jesus for what he did for us? How can we not be thankful by giving him our all, our best? How is it that we can hold back We say those things, but we all do it. Man, we got to get a fresh glimpse of his precious blood, a fresh glimpse of his broken body, a fresh glimpse of his sacrifice for us. Listen, I, I, I believe that it would do us all well to get a glimpse of hell. But personally, I think God would prefer us to get a 
better glimpse of him, and then we wouldn't need that. That would be so real to us because the more real he becomes to us, the more real that becomes to us. We got it all backwards. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Man, I'll tell you, the gospel will be silenced except they be sent. The world will perish except they be sent. And finally, except they be sent, the future's hopeless. It's hopeless. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Eleven men were given marching orders. Eleven men given marching orders on behalf of the whole church. And they reached the world with the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye... Being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I don't know if the Bible can say it any more clearly, but if we don't have God in our life, then we have no hope. It's pretty simple. And except they be sent, the world will continue in hopelessness. 4.6 billion people in Asia. 1.3 billion people on the continent of Africa. Except they be sent, the future for them is hopeless. They've got nothing to look forward to. The economy offers little hope. The government offers little hope. The condition of our culture and society, of course, offers very little hope. The direction in which we are heading today offers very little hope. The trends and the fads of our day offer little hope. No hope, no hope, no hope, no hope. That's why we're bent on buying new things and acquiring bigger and better all the time. Because there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's no hope outside of the gospel. So we try to cover it all up by buying something that gives us some temporary satisfaction. What most of us look forward to is something new. Instead of going back to something old. That's all that brings most people any joy or any kind of happiness today. And I say brings joy or happiness, I'm talking about temporary joy. They have nothing else but those temporal things to hold on to and to trust in. It's all they've got. What a sad existence it would be to be without Christ in this hopeless world. You know, how many times have you said it? How many times have I said it? Man, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to live in this world without Jesus Christ. 
We've said that, haven't we? I mean, most of us have said that. Okay, question. How has he made it so much better for you? How does he make it so much better for you then? We say that. But if we're not careful, we find ourselves fretting all the time about the circumstance and the situation we find ourselves in in our world. We find ourselves worried about who's going to be elected and who's not going to be elected this coming November. We find ourselves so stressed out, so out, out overwhelmed by our circumstance and our situations at work and at home and at play. We find ourselves just buried in fear. And we say, boy, I don't even know what it'd be like to live in a world without Jesus Christ. And the world looks at us and goes, what's the point? You live like we live. That's how I feel every day. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't recognize that he makes a difference. But the question is, how is that seen in our lives and in our attitude and our outlook? But there is no hope outside of Christ. And until you and I get a fresh glimpse of the Lord Jesus, until we see him daily in a, a, a very new and, and, and wonderful way, we are going to forever be bound by this earth. Not that we'll be lost and not that we won't have times of, of, of just blessing with the Holy Spirit and the time in the Word, but it won't be as God intended it to be. We're to be free from all this mess. God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And the world is looking for something different. How different do you look in the world? When you walk down the street, do you look different? One of the most horrible things about a stupid mask is that people can't see your face. And let me tell you, God talks about your countenance in the Word of God. And I'll tell you, there's a difference between the believer's countenance and a lost man's countenance who has no hope. But today, the world has caused us to cover up our faces so they can't see the glow of God. What did they do to Moses when he came out of the mount? They said, put a covering on him. So we put coverings on our faces so that they can't see God in us. The world's not stupid and Satan's not dumb. So as much as I feel at times like I fail, and as much as maybe I look at Christianity and think, we're not what we ought to be. Obviously, Satan sees something wrong with our countenance. He says, man, that's still discouraging to me and to my, my cause. Cover their faces up because I don't want anyone to see God on them and in them. So that's a good thing, at least, maybe. That's encouraging to me now as I think about it. But how different do we look to the world? Go ahead and throw your dress standards out the window. You won't look any different. Go ahead, throw your moral standards out the window. You won't look any different. Go ahead, throw it all away. Doesn't matter, right? God looks at the heart. That's all that matters. Can I tell you he may, but they don't? We are lying to ourselves today. I can act like the world. I can look like the world. I can go to the places the world goes to. I can watch what the world watches. And that's okay because I'm a Christian and God knows my heart. Too bad they don't. It's not for Jesus that we do what we do most of the time. We're already perfect according to 1 John 3, 9. We got that new man that can't sin in us already. 
It's for the world. He's still trying to reach them. And he is glorified in being in reaching them because everybody ought to be bound before him. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he's Lord. It will one day, but he deserves it right now. What a sad existence it would be without Christ in this hopeless world. I mean, there are bright spots along the way, and while a person possesses their health, happiness, and a sense of accomplishment, there may even be a feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction. However, as it's been said, all good things must come to an end. And the fate of those without Christ is bleak and bitter, to say the least, isn't it? The believer not only has the prospect of hope, but possesses hope in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not, the, it's not the prospect of hope that you have. You possess it in Christ Jesus. But the world doesn't. Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, man, that's powerful, isn't it? Hope, I mean, he is our hope. And therefore, no matter the circumstances we possess or that, 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 that seem to control us at times or affect us, I should say, more appropriately, we have hope now and beyond the grave. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. John 14.6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. As the Apostle Paul opens his address to his son Timothy in the, to his son in the faith, Timothy, he begins by saying these words in 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Man, he's our hope. But let me tell you, except they be sent, the future's hopeless. Because, see, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. The gospel's about the good news. The gospel is what will liberate the sin-sick soul. The gospel's what's needed in the world. The gospel's what's needed in our workplaces. The gospel's what's needed in our homes. The gospel. And except they be sent, the future's hopeless. It's hopeless. We spend so much time in our, and I say we, I'm talking about humanity, trying to make it better for those that have less or those we feel are in most need and those who don't have what others have. And we're trying to just put a band-aid over a problem that cannot be solved without Jesus Christ. I'm not opposed to trying to meet needs in the lives of people. And I mean, that's what we spend our lives doing in the ministry. But can I tell you, if you think putting food on someone's table for a matter of 10, 15, 20 years is going to make all the difference, my friend, you have lost sight. You, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, I tell you, don't give, them, don't, don't give them a fish. Teach them how to fish and they'll feed a lifetime. Let me tell you something. They'll burn in hell forever still. That gospel's what they need. 
I'm not opposed to giving them something so that they'll listen to the gospel. But my friend, character does not change simply because you put food on someone's table. My friend, you'll be putting some food on someone's table the rest of your life. God's got to do something in here and change them who they are, not just what they do. There's got to be an inside change. The gospel will be silenced except they be sent. The world will perish except they be sent. The future is hopeless except they be sent. See, that's what missions is really all about. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ being commanded to give the gospel to every creature. But except they be sent, the gospel will be silenced though. That's what missions is about, getting the gospel to the world, sending people to the world. And again, I'm fearful, and I go back to it again, that we have possibly began to buy into the idea that technology is the way to reach the world. I believe we need to use technology to its fullest extent. But if we get dependent on technology, technology will fail us. It's amazing. They tell us, and I almost reach for my phone. I'm so used to having it here. They tell us that they listen in on our conversations. They tell us they watch us through our cameras. Can I tell you there's not one of us probably that'll throw it away because we're so enamored by it and we've believed it's become so important that we can't do without it. Can I tell you the day they turn their back on Christianity in America and the day that they decide that you and I are not worth the oxygen that we use up, they'll just simply knock on our door because they'll know right where we are. And don't think they don't do it. Look what they did to the press secretary this last week. They shut her down on Twitter. They shut her down on social media because she was saying things they didn't want to hear. Can I tell you they will do the same thing to you and I? If they can do that to an official that is so high up in our government that's supposed to represent our First Amendment rights, do you honestly think that we're going to be safe to give it out over this? Now listen, I say we use it while we can to reach people we just can't reach at the time being. But my friend, don't think sitting in your living room watching a television show about the gospel or trying to talk to somebody about the gospel is any, even holds a candle to you getting out of your seat, in your car, driving over to their house and talking to them like human beings. God intended that we go. And if they, if, if we don't send somebody, they'll never hear. But I'm convinced there probably are some that probably need to be sent from here. I think not only sent from here just out soul winning, I'm talking about sent from here as ministers into the world to reach people with the gospel. It's a pitiful thing, pitiful thing to see the scores of young people that have gone through our church and we're still begging God for a man. You don't have to think that, but I think that. I think it's pitiful. I think it's pitiful that we're more concerned about enjoying the world than reaching the world. I told the Lord a long time ago, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And if he told me tonight, and I know you say these things and you just wait to hear him knock on your shoulder. 
tap you on the shoulder and go, oh, by the way, you're going to Africa. You're going to live in a hut. Well, if he tells me to do that, I'll do it today. I'll leave this in a minute if God tells me to go. I mean it. You say, what about your grandkids? Man, I have begged God to let me be around my grand, my, to raise my children around my, my grand, their grandparents. I begged God. I said, God, if it would please you, it would please us. If you'd allow us to serve close enough that our children could have the influence of both grandparents. We begged God for that. And he heard our prayer and he answered it. But if he changed his mind tonight and said, I want you to go on a foreign field, Mark O'Donnell, I'd say, folks, I'm resigning the church today. Or whenever I can, I'd make it. I wouldn't just do it today, of course. But I would, I would work it out, and I'd be prepared to move on. Let me tell you something. I'm going wherever God wants me to go. Can I tell you that he needs all of us to feel that way? Amen. Amen. I, I'm so, so burdened that our young people have bought into this. And you know what's so amazing to me? And I know I'm wasting a lot of time. Some of you are ready to get out of here. I get it. But can I tell you this? I am really bothered by our young people today who are willing to throw away the call of God over a $10 an hour job. That bothers me. I don't know if that bothers you. Do you know there's internet on the foreign field and you could still play your video games all night long? And if that's what's keeping you from going, my friend, we don't want you over there anyway. You'd waste our time and money. Thank you, preacher. We love how you're so direct and honest. <laughs> Except they be sent. We got to send them, don't we? Now listen, you may not be called to go, and I may not be called to go over there. So far, I haven't been. But I got to do my part to get them there. And thank God, we have a church that has done a wonderful job of prioritizing that. But we can't go on our past successes. Sunday's a new day. And it sets the stage for a new year. Will we obey God this year like we did last year? Like we did the year before? Will we obey him this year? Will we open our heart to him and say, what will you have me to do? I pray and trust we will. If your past record is any indication, any indication of how you will respond this year, then without a doubt, we're looking good here at Community Baptist as far as the missions movement and the direction to get people out into the foreign field. I appreciate that. But this is a new year. We cannot live on past successes. And we as a church need to be prepared. Starting in January, we're going to start... Once again, preparing people to door knock, preparing people with the gospel, reiterating and kind of remedially training people to, again, be prepared to go out and reach the world with the gospel. I pray that you're preparing your mind, your spirit, your body, and you're saying, you know what? I can't wait. I want to be a part of reaching the world, except they be sent. Except they be sent. The gospel will be silenced. Except they be sent, the world will perish. Except they be sent, there's no hope of the future. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And Lord, I am so 
I want to see young men called to ministry. I, 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 am, I am so convinced that there are so many through the years you have sought that have allowed themselves to get kind of enamored or distracted by the world. And Lord, in the end, it's over nothing. I'm so grateful for those who have obeyed you and are right where they belong today in the right field of work, the right place in their lives in this ministry. Lord, we understand you don't call everyone. So I can't decide. I don't know who, say, would be a Jonah and who isn't, but I am convinced, Lord, that you're still wanting to speak and still wanting to call men into the ministry. And I pray, Lord, that you would find a church that's open-minded and opens their heart to you and allows you, Father, to have your will and way in their life. And we, even as individual believers, seek your face daily that others may see you in us. I do pray, Lord, that we'll get these masks off soon. I believe in us so strongly that they're a detriment to your image. We are made in your image. People need to see that image. And a mask hides it. We pray, Lord, that you would just help us now to be victorious, to take the gospel into our communities and around the world through our missions program. May we all be obedient to you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll take just a